we don't have to withdraw from our trust account, from the bank account. We don't have to um, compromise our relationship. We don't have to with we don't have to make ourselves a predictor of both positive and aversive outcomes or positive and or good and bad outcomes for the horse to resolve these problem behaviors. Hey there, welcome to another episode of the Willing Equine Podcast. I'll be recording this episode in my car, so the audio may not be super clear, and sometimes I have my kids with me, so if you hear a little bit from them, I apologize, but hopefully you can still enjoy the podcast. I'd love to hear from you after you listen to the podcast, so feel free to comment on any of my social media platforms or email me or even send me an anchor voice message. In the horse world, we talk a lot about trust, getting our horses to trust us, us trusting them, building that trust, um, having a trusting relationship. I could go on and on with examples I've heard of people talking about trust in the horsemanship world. We need our horses to trust us enough to walk, go through the creek, right? So walk through water. We need them to trust us enough to go over a jump that we point them at and and trust that we're not going to lead them towards a ditch. Um, We need them to trust us when we ask them to leave their companions and go into the barn by themselves. Uh, And there's a lot of different ways people go about achieving this supposed trust. And personally for me, because this is important, this isn't actually the topic of this episode, but it it kind of is. Um, Trust is the is having a history of positive outcomes. So it's developing a history of positive outcomes. So my horses trust me to lead them into the barn away from their companions because they have learned through repeated, um, repeated exposure, repeated training sessions, repeated whatever, that it will be a positive outcome for them. And what that means is, and what that entails is that I do baby steps. So if my horse really doesn't want to leave the pasture and go up to the barn, then I say, okay, can you just take one step out of your gate and then, you know, positive things. So they get food or scratches or whatever. And then I take them back. So that's another positive outcome. They get to go back and everything is fine. And I didn't push them past their threshold. I didn't push them past their comfort level. And then the next time I stretch it a little bit, can you go two steps? And then we keep building from there. So they start to learn through repeated experiences that they can trust me for there to be a positive outcome from me asking them to leave their companions and go to the barn. And this happens with also going over scary objects, with, you know, getting into the trailer, with being ridden, with going over jumps. I mean, it happens in every situation we ask our horses, everything we ask our horses to do for us. This is the type of trust that I'm, this is how I approach developing trust in horses. I want them to have a positive experience with interacting with me and to know that when they interact with me, I will respect their fear thresholds. I will respect their body language, how they're communicating to me, what they're communicating to me. I will um, respect when they're uncomfortable and that there will be a positive outcome from interacting with me, even if they're not sure about the situation. So that in, in a future circumstance where maybe they, um, let's say that we have an emergency and I need my horse to 
go into, I don't know, an unfamiliar trailer, let's say, but we have done lots of practices outside of the situation, whether it's leaving the pasture, going into different trailers, whatever it is, lots of situations where the horse initially was a little bit uncomfortable, but developed that trust in me, a history of positive outcomes. Um, they then might be presented with this situation where it's an unfamiliar trailer. They're a little bit stressed because there's a lot going on. Maybe, maybe it's a, uh, a dangerous situation maybe there's fire or something like that they know that they can trust me because there has always been a history of positive outcomes or at least it heavily outweighs the possible negative outcomes so they know that if they go with me it's most likely going to be the most positive experience for them a, a, an, a ugh, an ex positive I can't speak tonight a positive experience for them so that's how I go about approaching developing trust in my horse and other trainers, you know, have different definitions of how to develop trust. They, a lot of it is centered around the idea of respect and that they should just trust you as a leader and stuff like that. S speaking from science and research and, and all of that and from the understanding of how uh, the lack of dominance theory or how it's not really applicable um, in the way we thought it was and the whole idea of leadership because especially across a species, so a species barrier there. Um, I have chosen a different path, and I look at building trust in a different way. I look at the same, you know, if we look at relationships with other people around us and with, a, you know, a child to a parent situation, all that, that trust, that sense of trust is developed by a history of positive outcomes. But that history of positive outcomes doesn't happen as a, um, let's say, it's really hard to build trust in somebody. Like, let's say, let's use a child to parent situation. So let's say your parent, you're, you're scared of heights. You're scared of being, you're a little kid. And let's say you're scared of being thrown up in the air and your parent just wants to show you, look, 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 it's going to be fine, Johnny. Like, it's going to be fine. I'm just going to toss you into the air, despite the fact that you're terrified. And when you come back down, I'll catch you and you'll be fine. And so their idea in that parent's mind is that they are showing you you can trust them. But if you're in such a state where you're already afraid and the whole experience of being thrown up into the air and then falling back down into the parent's arms is a terrifying experience, sure, you'll learn that that situation doesn't necessarily result in your death, let's say, or you getting hurt, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to enjoy that experience or want to do it again more in the future or even trust the parent more. Now with humans, we can talk to each other, we can communicate via verbal language, language uh, and all of that, and it's the same species. So it's human to human, that example is human to human. But now take and add in the fact that we can't communicate to our horses what we're trying to achieve. We can't say, look, Cookie, let's say the horse's name is Cookie. <laughs> look, Cookie, if you step over this tarp or you let me put this tarp over your head, I will show you that it's going to be a good thing. I know you're terrified, but just let me do it and I'll show you it's going to end up okay. We can't do that. And we also, um, there's a, there's a, a species difference there that means that there is a natural lack in, um, the best way to explain it would be like in a, well, I guess the best way to explain it is when you're within a species or especially in a parent to child relationship or a mare to full relationship, um, there's a natural affiliation there. There's a natural positive relationship there. And so those experiences 
may withdraw from that positive relationship there, but they're not gonna usually completely destroy the positive relationship. You're not gonna just never trust that parent again, um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that was a good experience. Now imagine if you're talking about some random person walks up to you and throws you up in the air and catches you. I mean, you're gonna be a lot less like, you're gonna just be like, oh my gosh, strangers in general are terrifying and I don't trust them and all that because it was a scary experience for you. Now imagine if it was a totally different species. Like, I don't, we don't even have this situation really where we have another species that comes up to us and forces us to do things or get over things or do what we want them to do or want us to do. They don't, anyway, you get my point. Um, so it adds another level of distrust there that's already there. It's already built in, it's already ingrained. If you were to have this giant, let's say there was a, there's a lot of kids movies. I've been watching a lot of kids movies because I have three kids, but there's movies where there's a species or whatever of giants that are made out of rock or I don't know, there's abominable snowmen or whatever it is. There's lots of those types of scenarios in kids movies. Imagine if one of those things, so like it was a massive rock figure creature that was like, 10 times your size just walked up to you and said, look, Johnny, trust me. I'm going to throw you up in the air and I'm going to catch you. And this is going to build our trust. Like you just be like, holy smokes, what is happening right now? And it's not likely to make you trust those rock beings anymore because you didn't die that time, right? You're probably going to actually be more terrified of them because you're like these giant things just come up to me and throw me in the air. Like that's absolutely terrifying experience. Um, So this is a really important thing to understand because I'm going to go into the rest of the podcast episode this episode. I kind of went a little longer on that than I intended to. But talking about trust, this is the type of trust I'm talking about. I'm talking about a history of positive outcomes. I'm talking about my horse being able to look at me, look at the situation that we're experiencing together, the training session, the interaction we're having and saying, this human usually predicts positive outcomes, therefore I will trust her, right? So if we look at trust from that perspective, if we think of trust in that way, and then we look at punishment. So punishment is the opposite, right? It's the opposite of a positive outcome. It is an aversive outcome to a behavior or to a situation. So punishment is inherently negative. It just has to be for it to work. It has to be aversive enough. It has to be um, scary enough, painful enough, uh, whatever, aversive enough, annoying enough, whatever it is, or yeah, or aversive enough in any sense to decrease the likelihood of you doing the behavior that you did right before the punishment happened. So if um, a good example, oh, well, in the horse world, a really good example of this is your horse bites you and you smack him in the face. And if you smacked them hard enough and your timing was impeccable and there wasn't a significant underlying issue that caused the behavior to keep showing up, the behavior should decrease in occurrence. So it should stop happening as often. And that would be effective punishment. But there is a major downside to the use of punishment. So technically it's effective. Technically, if used properly, it can 
it can problem solve behaviors. It can get rid of behaviors you don't want. It could be used as a training approach to certain situations. Um, when used properly with good timing and accuracy and severe enough that it stops the behavior in its tracks because if it's too mild, there's research out there that's showing that, um, and I'm, I'd be happy to show their studies with anybody who's interested, but the that if the punisher is mild enough just to cause like an, an annoyance or whatever and it, then it just gradually increases over time, the behavior usually takes longer to go away if ever if, if it ever goes completely away because they build up um, a little it's almost like a desensitizing uh, experience where the the learner whether it's a child or a dog or a horse or whatever learns to kind of tune out the punisher because of the reinforcement value so the value of the behavior that they're doing or the function of the behavior that they're doing the what it's serving them the purpose that it's serving them outweighs the gradually increasing punisher that they have now become used to. So it, for punishment to be effective, it has to be severe enough to stop the behavior really quickly and for them to never consider doing the behavior again. But this is the opposite of building trust based on the definition I used earlier. It is the opposite of building up a history of positive outcomes. If a horse is trying to express itself, if it's trying to communicate to you that something is wrong, maybe its back hurts and it doesn't want the saddle put on so it snaps at you and then you punch it, that's the opposite of a positive outcome, right? And technically, you're probably thinking, well, yeah, duh, that's what punishment's supposed to do. It's supposed to stop it. It's supposed to tell the horse, no, that was bad, right? Which is fine in that moment as far as if we're just looking at effectiveness alone as being... Um, the the way we judge the training approach that we use if we're just looking at effectiveness then technically you're right like that's good but if we're concerned at all about the relationship with the horse if we're concerned at all about the trust level that the horse has with us then we should take a second look at this we should take a second look at the use of punishment and whether or not the effectiveness alone is worth the sacrifice in the relationship is worth decreasing that trust because it does it automatically cuts down on trust because now you not only predict positive outcomes you predict you predict possible negative outcomes for your horse so your horse looks at you and he says sometimes you're positive sometimes you're negative which one is it gonna be when I do this next thing because we can't communicate with them and we can't tell them okay uh, cookie, because you bit me, you had you, you got punched. But if you don't bite me, you know whatever. We can't really communicate that. And even if we could, I still would argue that we should probably avoid it um, for a lot of various reasons. And we're going to go into that some more. But now we are uh, we have now we are now telling our horse that we predict both positive outcomes and negative outcomes, so aversive outcomes and. Um, appetitive outcomes or, or good outcomes, you could say. And this can create some conflict and it can also cause the trust bank account. So the bank account of our relationship, the bank account where we're depositing positive outcome, positive outcome, positive outcome, positive outcome. Every time punishment is used or an aversive or something like that, we are withdrawing from that bank account. We, we are withdrawing that positive 
those positive interactions, that positive, um, uh, that prediction, that predictability of being positive, a positive um, experience for the horse, we are withdrawing from that bank account. And so now, depending on how much we're using with punishment, we could start looking at more of like a neutral bank account. So we're like not positive, we're just like just breaking even, right? And if we go too far into the punishment category, then now we predict negative outcomes. So our relationship is significantly is is suffering at this point. So that alone should kind of put up a red flag in regards to using punishment. And Besides that, we've got the fact that punishment causes fear and causes physical pain in a lot of situations or annoyances, things like that. So we're causing our animals to suffer and that is unpleasant for them. And if we're trying to be as ethical in our training and handling practices, we should take that into consideration. How much conflict, how much pain, how much stress, how much anxiety, how much fear are we causing our learners during their training experiences, especially when most all of these behaviors, and I've yet to meet one that doesn't fit this, can be trained in a way or trained away or replaced or fixed or whatever resolved in a way more positive way and less stressful way. And this is kind of gets down to the root of why I don't really use punishment in my training because there is not only a better way, it is also equally, if not more, effective. So we can choose to train things like biting. So let's say we put on the saddle and it hurts and the horse just kind of escalates really quickly before we even notice they escalate to snapping at us. We should consider this as a warning. They're not a warning, but a form of them commun- it is a warning, but a form of them communicating that something's wrong. Um, while I wouldn't completely, you know, I'm not saying that I have never reacted out of fear myself and a gut reaction and, you know, protected myself in a situation that w- that caught me by surprise. But I will tell you that I learned really fast. I learned really fast that I was not aware enough. I wasn't paying attention enough to or close enough attention to subtle, more subtle signs. If a horse is having to bite at me to communicate, then I know I've blown past all their other forms of communication and something is very wrong. Um, that I have been really oblivious and I have not been a, an attentive partner, an attentive trainer, an attentive, uh, and uh, whatever member of this relationship. There's two to make a relationship, right? We wouldn't, I think a lot of times we think of having a relationship with our horse, but we tend to forget that the a relationship requires back and forth, right? Back and forth communication. And we tend to just blow through our horse's communications and really kind of do what we, what it is we want and make them kind of do what we want and tell them what we want them to do. And if they don't do it the way we want them to, then we make things harder for them until they do what we want, then it's easier or we just ignore it or we punish them for acting out to communicate. And with too much of that, with too much punishing forms of communication, it continues to escalate. They continue to escalate their forms of communication until somebody will listen to them. And this is another downside of using punishment. But if if we're in that situation, right, where a horse has escalated to that point where they're having to communicate in such a, an aggressive way, 
we are, I already know that I'm affecting the trust level of the relationship. I already know that I am severely withdrawing from the bank account. Like we are, we're reading negative at this point, right? In, in this situation possibly, but maybe as a whole. So it's really important that I, even after, if I, if that happens where I protect myself, where I act in a gut reaction and self-defense and I, you know, we're all, we're all human. We're all, um, we have instincts, we respond in a situation, we can work to try and change our responses, but I'm not going to judge anybody by an instantaneous response that it's out of fear and self-defense. I will only say, or I'm going to say, and this is how I've approached it is when a situation like that happens, learn from it, learn how to avoid that happening again. So we can take that situation and learn from it. And then we can say, okay, so what was it that caused the horse to bite out at me? Uh, what is, what was the function of that behavior? What did, what was it that they were trying to communicate to me? They were trying, you know, after some problem solving, we'll figure out that they were communicating to me that the saddle hurt. Perfectly logical. Like I would, you know, if you're going to strap a big saddle on me and buckle it down really tight and then sit on it, I'm sure going to tell you that something's wrong. And if you don't listen to my, you know, nostrils tightening and my little head swish or tail swish, and then my, my, um, my, maybe my head bob or something like that and my eyes hardening, then yeah, I'm going to bite at you. Like it's just going to happen. So we have to find the function for the behavior. What were they trying to communicate to us? Then we problem solve that. So if we can get the saddle to start feeling better, then, um, then the biting should go away. Sometimes they need some rehab as far as reconditioning that the saddle is going to be a positive experience. Even after you've got it fitted, sometimes there's residual pain because of nerve pinching and damage to the muscles and all that. So we have to rehab that. But that's how we can fix that same exact problem behavior, the biting, without using punishment as a training approach. We don't have to withdraw from our trust account, from the bank account. We don't have to um, compromise our relationship. We don't have to, we don't have to make ourselves a predictor of both positive and aversive outcomes or positive and or good and bad outcomes for the horse to resolve these problem behaviors, these behaviors that potentially are dangerous to us. And if not dangerous, at least they're unpleasant. We don't like them. We don't want the horse to do it. So that's just one way of going about it. We can also teach some alternative behaviors. If it wasn't a pain issue, maybe the horse just had a learned history of pawing, let's say at the cross ties. And let's say that we are working really hard on making the cross ties a more positive experience for them. Um, We've brought in a companion. We've offered them hay, things like that. We can also go about teaching them an alternative behavior. We can teach them that if four feet stand still on the ground in the cross ties, then then you'll get rewarded for it. And they slowly, the movement of the front legs will decrease. And so we'll have resolved the pawing issue. No need to slap your horse on the chest or shout at them from the tack room. So we can resolve these problem behaviors effectively. And I find that the results are much longer lasting um, without impacting our horse's trust in us, without negatively impacting our relationship, without compromising that history of positive outcomes, without, uh, without making the horse look at us and wonder, is this a, you know, am I going to get punished for this 
or am I going to get rewarded for it? I'm, I'm, I'm conflicted as to how our relationship is going. Like, what do you mean? Are you good? Are you bad or whatever? And so punishment, while again, effective, it can be effective. It can be done well. And it can, as far as like effectively, it can be done well. It comes with a cost. It comes with a significant cost to your relationship with your horse. And it's not always as effective as we think it is. So with that all being said, I really do encourage you guys, if you're listening to this podcast, is I encourage you to think about alternative solutions to the behaviors that you don't really like, the ones that you don't really want to see, the ones that you're tempted to use punishment on. And I'm going to dovetail here for a second because I mostly talked about positive punishment positive punishment being the application of an aversive to decrease the behavior. So you are smacking your horse, shouting at your horse, punching him, whatever it is. Um, it could even be that your horse gets too close to you to, you know, in your space and you back them up abruptly. That's positive punishment. But there's also negative punishment, which is the removal of an appetitive or a removal of something desired as a punisher. So one of the best examples I have of this is in the human world where kids, two kids are fighting over a toy because they both want it as a punishment. The parent comes in and says, well, if you guys are going to fight over this, I'm just going to take it away. And they remove the thing that's desired as a punisher for the child children's behavior. So in the human world, we see this quite a bit. Timeouts, things like that can be negative punishment. In the horse world, traditionally, it's not as common, but in positive reinforcement land, in when we're trying to train, when we are um, motivated to train with food rewards, when we want to train with positive reinforcement, when that's our focus, it is, it can be pretty easy to slip into a negative punishment category as far as punish, negatively punishing a behavior. Uh, by withholding food or making the task too challenging for them so they can't get the right answer right away. Um, so this this too can withdraw from the trust account. If you want your horse to not mug you, let's say that's kind of a, a term people use to say that the horse is seeking, you know, looking for food and seeking food on their person. So they're like looking in their pockets, they're sniffing at them, they're nudging at them, even head bumping them, maybe even pawing, maybe flipping sides, like trying to get in front of them and then behind them, trying to figure out what it is that's going to get the human to give them the food. They're genuinely just trying to offer behaviors. They're just throwing behaviors at you as like, mom, is it this? Is it this? Is it this? Is it this? What is it? What about this? What about this? Is it this? And they're just trying, 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 and you're not giving them information, you're not setting them up for success, and you're withholding the thing that is desired. And at some point, they're going to start just kind of, you can see them, they start to get frustrated and the behaviors start to escalate. They start getting a little bit more frantic about the mugging. They get a little bit more um, pushy and demanding. And finally, you know, eventually they may turn their head away and then you click that and give them food. But the whole experience leading up to that little moment where they happen to turn their head away is pretty frustrating and can cause issues as far as um, your relationship. And I, I do believe that it can affect the trust in the relationship because now you both predict withholding food, so a punisher for behaviors that are not wanted and also a positive outcome being the click in the food. And if the food is a high enough value and they don't have alternative sources available, it can be a really frustrating experience for them. And so the training is not as positive as we kind of want it to be. In our minds, we're thinking we're training with clicker training, positive reinforcement, yay. But if we're not um, 
approaching it with the intention where the horse is set up to get the right answer right away. Like they can't do anything else but get the right answer from the minute you step up to working with them or you step into the training area, whatever it is. Um, if we're not if we're not set up that way, if we're not thinking that way, then we can also cause frustration and cause punishment inadvertently, but we can punish them uh, that way too. So that's a really important thing to keep in mind when we're um, talking about punishment is it's not just the hitting and the smacking. It's also uh, taking away food. Uh, another good example, maybe you're not clicker training, but let's say you... And this is one I've actually used in the past, and it's actually it's pretty effective. But I, I try not to do it this way anymore um, because it does cause frustration. It puts my learner through a lot of extinction and frustration and exaggerated behaviors, and things get worse before they get better. Um, and eventually they figure it out, and eventually they get rewarded. But if I have a horse that's banging on their stall door, and they're really anxious because it's feeding time, right? So they're just banging, banging, banging on their stall door. And I am just staying there with their food bucket and I just wait. I wait for that moment where they stop banging and then I approach them with their food. I just put them through a whole bunch of frustration and just like making them anxious and upset and whatever. And then they just happen to get the right answer so I bring them their food. This can be, again, a negative experience for them and cause a lot of frustration. Some horses do better, you know, I feel like this experience but some I feel like really suffer um, with training with the training approach that's this way so for me personally in my training approach and how I encourage my students is I really focus on again setting them up for success so I try and find I try and I you know like I will not even like I'll pre-prepare let's in this little theoretical example I'll pre-prepare their meals ahead of time so they're not even in the barn right and they don't hear the buckets banging around or whatever and I'm, I'm ready I'm fast and ready and I put them in their stall in the first second that they're even remotely still I quickly approach and dump the food in before they even get a chance to bang on the stalls so there I've already reinforced still and calm now I do that a couple times and then I start to ask see if they can when I put them in the stall um can they be still and calm for like a minute or not even, maybe it's only 30 seconds. Maybe it's even 10 seconds. I don't know, but we're, ex we're expanding how much time they can stand still without banging. Then I quickly take them their food. And then we just keep expanding and expanding until before we know it, anytime they're brought into their stall and they know it's feeding time, they just wait patiently for their food to come. No frustration, no punishment, no extinction process, no nothing. They're just, I just know that standing here quietly brings the food. So that kind of wraps up what I wanted to talk about, which is how punishment can really negatively impact our relationship with our horses and decrease trust in us, trust in training, trust in being around us and, and whether or not we're going to have a negative experience or a positive experience. And, and the more we can build our horses trust in us, the more we can be in situations where we have to ask them to trust us, even though they don't have the exact training that we need them to have. Maybe they don't know how to get into a slant load trailer, but they do know how to get into a stock load trailer or stock trailer. And they have tons and tons of positive experiences with us. And so they look at it a little funny, but then they're like, you know what? This human has never led me astray. It's always been positive. I'm going to go ahead and have a little faith in her and I'm going to jump in. And that's the kind of trust I want to build in my horses. Not the kind of relationship where, 
you know, if they get in the trailer, click and reward. But if that horse is stubborn and doesn't get in, I'm going to, you know, run him in circles until he gets in. And then I'll click and reward once he gets in. That is a conflicting relationship. It's, it's both positive, like there's, there's negative, you predict both a bad outcome and a good outcome in any given situation. So, um, that can really, I think, affect the relationship negatively and slow progress down a lot. And it's not nearly as effective in my experience in the long run, maybe temporarily, but not in the long run. Anyway, so I hope this was somewhat understandable. (laughs) It's a little bit late at night and I'm driving home, but um, if you have any questions or want to reach out to me, feel free to leave me a message on um, on Anchor, anchor.fm forward slash the willing equine. You can leave me a voice message and I can add it to a podcast episode and answer your question, or you can always contact me on any of my social media platforms. And as always, thank you guys for listening. I really appreciate it. I appreciate all your support and all the feedback I get about the podcast and any, you know, type of real life experiences that you guys have to share. That means so much to me and it really helps me feel like I'm connected with you guys and like I'm here to help you. And also you guys help me. You help me by, you know, positively reinforcing my efforts to share this type of information. Um, Also, I learn from you guys. When you say this worked for me, this didn't work for me, you know, whatever it is, that's awesome too. I love feedback. I love feedback of all kinds. So until the next episode, I hope you guys have a wonderful day and or night or whatever it is. And I appreciate you. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to find out more, head to my website, thewillingequine.com. On there, I have a really extensive blog. I'm a very prolific writer. And I also have a an FAQ page. And the FAQ has all kinds of things. It has questions and answers about training and about my training specifically, as well as just general about working with positive reinforcement. There's also sections on there about health and um, behavior. So all of that. I'm also on a lot of different social media platforms, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. So check those out and I'd love to hear from you. So don't hesitate to email or send me a message.